welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Stephen, I want to tell you about my coffee. Please do. I've, I've honestly been waiting for this and asked for you to bring it up first. <laughs> tell me. <laughs> our, our first game of the week is My Cold Brew. Uh, you mentioned a couple weeks ago that you got a gift for your birthday. It was one of yeah. your f- favorite gifts you've ever gotten. Maybe your mm-hmm. favorite gift you've ever gotten. It was a cold brew maker. Um, and then you went on to post that cold brew maker in the Discord. So I picked it up and now I have it. I've been enjoying it a lot. This morning, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about my coffee. I made uh, I made some nice cold brew. I poured it into the glass. I didn't have enough because it was like the second day. So it was like I didn't fill the glass up all the way. So I said, you know what? Let me do something a little bit special. I poured a little bit of heavy cream in there. Looked beautiful. I took a picture of it as it was going in. You know, like all those Starbucks ads where you see the heavy cream going into the cold brew. Looks beautiful. But here's the real... The real treat here. I, I made uh, this morning for breakfast, I made uh, oatmeal with caramelized apples. I like caramelized some apples, you know, some, some butter, some brown sugar, whatever. I took a little bit of that uh, that little like caramelization stuff, all that all the little juices and stuff after the apples cooked and kind of bled their apple juice into, into this. I put some <laughs> of that in the coffee. Ooh, ooh, baby. Wow. It's good. That sounds incredible. Yeah. I was literally so spellbound during all of that that I have two requests. One, AJ, retroactively through that whole thing, please put like Sojuro's theme song from Persona 5. Because <laughs> it just like the the buoyancy of that song would fit the description perfectly. And Brendan, please start a new show called BB Barista, where you just describe <laughs> Barista what you're Barista. Making, that was incredible. Yeah, <laughs> Barista Barista. <laughs> I love that. That's incredible. Yeah, I, oh I don't know God. if I ever I talked about this on like any art. podcast that I've done, but I, I worked in cafes from high school for like years. I worked in cafes for like six years, um, all, you yeah. know, starting off in like kind of uh, like one off cafes, just like little local places. And then eventually at a Starbucks, because I think that's where all baristas ended up at some point or another is at a Starbucks, yeah. except for the ones who are really too yeah. cool to sell out. I, I work at Pete's. Yeah, don't mind yeah exactly. <laughs> um, I actually worked at Pete's for maybe 20 minutes. Uh, it was not for me. Yeah. My schedule did you, not You did it on a dare. It. You did it just to get the hat that comes with uh, the job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here, suckers! I got there's the a place hat. in in yeah. New York. Uh, it might be elsewhere. It's it's kind of a chain. It's called Dig In. Um, it's the, the way I always describe it is um, it's like what Boston Market thinks it is in a way. <laughs> What is I don't I didn't even know Boston Market was sentient. What does it think it is? You know what I mean? Like you go to Boston Market and it's like all the different kind of like home cooked the pieces. It's sure. like okay, here's all the string beans. Here's like the mac and cheese, like homemade oh, yeah. like rotisserie Absolutely. chicken and stuff. They have all that stuff like kind of laid out in like a buffet style thing, and then you just go through and they're like, "What do you want?" And then they pick it up and they go splat onto the onto <laughs> yeah, the platter. <laughs> the sound of Boston Market yeah. hitting the tray is maybe the gates of hell. The, the plastic tray. Here's the thing. Let me let me just preface all this i love boss market i think it's great i'm actually a very big Me fan too. i don't go there very often but they do have maybe some of the best mac and cheese at like any chain that exists i have a story about boss market that i'll save for once you're done but I, i'm okay, excited okay. to share it here's yeah. a, so so they, they're talking i mean when you when you watch like boss market ads watch boss market ads you know for all the people who are watching tv where there's boss market ads um Whenever you see like ads for Boston Market, it always just looks so pretty. Dig in 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 New York is like very literally what Boston Market is advertising that it is. Gotcha, gotcha. If that makes sense, it's it's the dream of Boston Market. Yeah, it's it's always great. The ingredients are amazing. It I don't know. I'm just like really surprised by it every time. But I started going there a couple years ago uh, when I started working in the city, just because there was one near my old office, and they all had hats 
that uh, like embroidered in white on black said the word lunch. And I was like <laughs> obsessed with getting a lunch hat. Like I love I love those lunch hats so much. They don't have them anymore, unfortunately. But I, I just remember like it was right when Diggin like started their Twitter account and I would just tweet at them constantly. I was like, how do I get a lunch hat? How do I get a lunch hat? Can I please get a lunch hat? And every once in a while they'd respond. They'd be like, oh, that's a great idea. And I would be like, please open a store so I can give you money for a lunch hat. Like I don't yeah. need you to give me one. I want to pay you for a thing that you're already mass producing yeah um that, I, I want to launch that too that sounds amazing it was awesome um and they never they never gave me one now they don't have them anymore so i don't even know what to do i think i might just make my own because i can make go to like lids.com slash custom hats or something <laughs> you know and like order one um but sounds i've all I, there at a certain point all my coworkers are like you just gotta apply to work there and then start yeah. your first day get the lunch hat and immediately quit like it would be worth like two weekends of like applying interviewing going through the process of getting the job and then starting the job so you can get the hat and then split um my concern is that i'd like it too much and i'd stay but you know mm, story for another day yeah. tell me about boston market your your employee the <laughs> of the month you're like this started as a dare but i actually grew very fond of you every time i, know <laughs> I opened it's, my it's, own dig-in franchise it's a she's all that but in a dig-in yeah. for the place that is um, actually like very literally what did happen to me when i worked at starbucks i she's all that i, I took the job there and i was only going to work there for like a month or two because I, I was starting another job like a, like an office gig um and it was my first time like getting out of service and retail and stuff so i was like okay i'm, I'm just working the starbucks job which you and i that's when you and i like rekindled our friendship was that's right at the starbucks but Anyway, I was only supposed to be there for like a month or two. Uh, and then I liked working there so much. That I stayed there for like another five or six months. Yeah. Like I, I worked I worked nine to five in an office Monday to Friday. And then on weekends, I worked double shifts Saturday and Sunday. I was the Kieran Culkin to your Freddie Prinz Jr., you know? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> he was the, oh, whatever. Here's my Boston Market story. And then I swear, dear listener, we will talk about the video game. <laughs> but buckle up, because this is a good one. Uh, so I, this is like maybe in 2013, same year where our friendship rekindled at the She's All That Starbucks, um, mm -hmm. where I was Karen Culkin adjacent. I was with a group of friends. Uh, and some people I hadn't met before, but it was a really miraculous day. It was like, we all just really hit it off. And a number of them were going to a potluck later that day. Uh, so, you know, the, the ticking clock of the day's festivities was like, okay, okay. All fun and games. But at some point we have to either make or buy something to bring to this potluck. Yeah. And of course, time got taken away from us. We had to go. We had nothing to show for it. So we swung by Boston Market and got a bunch of stuff. Yeah. We put it in trays that were innocuous. So it didn't. Yeah. It, it was Boston Market food disguised as stuff we had made. <laughs> um, and it killed. I can't stress enough how no one ate anything else. Everyone was like, oh, my God, this mac and cheese. How'd you make it? Like, it's just everyone else the who actually is was love. a human being <laughs> and made something. Yeah. Nothing was touched. The cream spinach, the mac and cheese, the chicken was just destroyed. Yeah. And it killed. And we never told anyone. It's my biggest sin, but also my greatest accomplishment, uh, which is Boston Market's tagline, I think. <laughs> does, any, does anyone uh, who was at that and, and didn't know listen to this podcast? I think one person 
my friend Keith, uh, if you're listening, uh, hello, and you know what you did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But every now and then, one or the, uh, my friend Keith or one other person there will just be like, do you remember when we brought Boston Market to a potluck and just crushed? It was like the biggest example of like the wrong lesson to learn. Like cheating so thoroughly paid off in our favor. Yeah. And like yeah. won the fortune and fame of the potluck. Yeah. You did um, the steamed hams so. thing in real life. Like the, the like Simpsons goof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it wasn't on purpose. Like we weren't trying to deceive anyone, but we just had like we we thought it would look too tacky to just have like plastic trays. You know, right. so we put it in like nice bowls and then the lie just kind of fermented itself. Yeah. It was a new thing. But yeah, Boston Market. So <laughs> anyway, how the hell do we segue into what we're talking about? Uh, something that is miraculously good, easily like uh God, this is impossible to segue, but let me just take a deep breath and start over. Just do it. You know what, AJ, of- put a break noise in here. Ooh, shake off the Boston market sins. Okay. Our muse, Brendan, our, our unparalleled muse, Annapurna Interactive, mm. uh, recently published a new game on mobile and PC called If Found. Yes. Basically, you and I operate under the pledge that whenever Annapurna publishes anything we just get it kind yes. of thoughtlessly <laughs> yes like i i, I do i did download this game I, I should preface by saying i have not played it at all yet uh but i did download okay. it the day that they announced it because i was like oh it's annapurna i'm in yeah yeah i mean their their track record has just been just so incredible and like i i truly think that they are at the forefront of like releasing games that are just so like unique and wonderful and redefining i mean between kentucky rat zero and Sign our wild hearts. It's just just those two alone. Uh, never mind outer wilds. And now if found, which I would put right up there with the rest. Really, really, really beautiful game. Um, I would recommend playing it on mobile if you can. Uh, that's where I played it. I'm sure it plays fine on PC, but the way it works is mechanically. I should say it's hard to describe the mechanics without bringing up the narrative a little bit. But the narrative is sort of this magic realist coming of age story about this young girl who is kind of going through a major turning point in her life and kind of dealing with uh what other people expect of her and and how she sees herself and just a very it's a very personal but i think also inherently relatable story with any young person i think she's uh in her early 20s so like that kind of really sort of ambiguous period of like right out of college where yeah, everyone's like yeah. cool uh you know what are you doing now right i mean that's literally when we rekindled yeah and i think it's a tough it's just a, inherently a tough part of someone's life and especially this young person's. But anyway, you kind of see what's happening in her story. It's it's presented both through like a journal that has like notes um, that she's taken about other characters and about just like, you know, just kind of journal stuff. A lot of it's written in sort of a very like mathematical way where it's like age, likes, dislikes, and sometimes things are crossed out. And how you progress the story is you kind of wipe your finger across the screen and you erase what's happening to reveal the next thing. Hmm. Um, so that that idea, one is like kind of remarkably fun just to kind of wipe away at the screen. It, it yeah. touches a very like, especially on mobile, it's just like a mechanic that everyone immediately knows and is oddly pleasing to do. Hmm. Um, kind of and, kind of that, that, that feeling of... of uh... Like a, just catharsis because you're cleaning something up in a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and often too, like it won't even the the mechanic and the narrative implication of a racing is kind of explored as thorough as thoroughly as it can be. Mm. 
where, you know, sometimes you're literally like erasing things in a book and you see the like eraser rubber on the page. Mm, And other times you might like there might be a shot of a house and you like wipe your finger and the lights turn off. Yeah. So it feels very tactile. Um, There's there's a lot of user response. Yeah, that's cool. It does. And it it also I think for me, it it, the same part of my brain lit up of like reading a graphic novel or a comic where like Mm. it, it eventually felt like the turning of the pages. But there's also always this kind of somber to it of like there are some moments where you can't wait to get past them there are these really dramatic scenes with the main character's mother and and family mm-hmm. and them not accepting her and and i also have to say the music in this game and the presentation is just beautiful like really really cool art style and the music is like all over the place in terms of what emotion it elicits from the player. I would recommend using your best headphones possible. And I think there's an intimacy on mobile that's fully taken advantage of here. Yeah. Um, uh, should just mention really quick, the developer of this game is called Dreamfield. They're based out of yes, Ireland. Uh, and, and the musician behind the score is named Two Mellow, Two, the number two. Um, and it's yeah. our, the uh, score is already available on Bandcamp as well. If you go to, uh, was it, dreamfield.org, you can find all this stuff. Um, I'm just looking yeah, at it now. It looks awesome. An incredible team. I, I'm in awe of their talent. And they also, um, they'll include like a uh, asterisk on like certain Irish phrases to like, kind of explain what they mean in mm. case you're not familiar, which like, cool. I love learning stuff like that, especially, you know, I, I wasn't familiar with most of the asterisk terms. So that's like, I always love that attention to detail. Yeah. Um, but like, it's just, it's just an incredible game. I think it, uh, we were both big fans of Florence. Um, yeah. And I think we said after playing that, that we were like, this is a beautiful game, a really relatable story, but like we were excited to see what that would inspire. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like if you if you could take this idea, because Florence kind of paved the way for like, okay, here's a mobile game that is taking advantage of being a mobile game to tell a story unique to this device. And I think in and I'm not trying to discredit that, but we both commented how like the story itself is like very familiar. Mm-hmm. Even though it's very effective and very, you know, personal and heartfelt, like it is a story you've seen before and told in a way you've seen before, even though like mechanically is different. Yeah. So we I remember when we talked about it, we were both like and again, can't stress enough how much we liked that game. It was both in our top tens yeah. of 2018. It's also available in many places now. So you can play it on Switch and on PC. Um, yeah. I like if you haven't played Florence yet, please, please, please do it. I, I don't want the, yeah. I don't want any of this to seem like uh it's less than in some way because I, I think it's like right. one of the most inspiring and beautiful games of the past like five and, years. And they're very different stories, but I think just the idea of we were like, I can't wait to see a story that is like more out there, mm-hmm. kind of following in Florence's footsteps and out there meaning just like ambitious, I guess, yeah. in, in storytelling. And it found very much is that uh, cool. immediately. It is, I didn't even mention that half the story is also in outer space. <laughs> Characters nice. trying to prevent like a black hole from consuming everything, which also goes hand in hand with you erasing to progress. Right. Um, I don't want to speak too much on the story itself because I don't want to spoil anything, but it's really incredible. It's like two hours to play. I think it's like $3 maybe. Easily one of my favorite games of the year, like immediately. And exactly like what I what I am always excited to see and be surprised by in video games. And I think like, you know, we, we've 
been following Annapurna and we're both proponents of like mobile games can be great and can be their own thing. And obviously this is on PC as well, but like I really found a power with it on mobile and would recommend trying to play it there if you can. Because just the idea of like using your hand on the screen to me just felt more intimate. Yeah. And like I felt more agency in the story and like it's just great. I, I, I really, really love it. It's it's one of those things where like I don't want to even say anything because it will like lessen the impact of it. But right. I think I've touched on the things that like, you know, mechanically are there and, and narratively I, I really respect the ambition and, and the fusing of um coming of age and sci-fi. And that way it reminds me of a graphic novel we both really love. I was just about um, to bring this up. On a sunbeam. Yeah, yeah on a sunbeam. Yeah. On a sunbeam is much more like they both they both take sci-fi in a very magical direction. Mm-hmm. This is a little bit more, I think, metaphorical, but like very much in the similar, like similar take on sci-fi or science fantasy that like I would love to see more of because uh, it's so personal. And I think often, I mean, it is it is societal too, but it, it is both like inward and outward exploring this moment in someone's life and how it affects the universe or how at least it mm. feels like it could. Yeah, um, that's really, awesome. really brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I, I am such a huge proponent of of just new methods of input for this kind of stuff yeah um florence i think was kind of a watershed moment for for mobile storytelling at least for like visual novels at least but i mean this even goes back to like when the apple watch came out and you and i talked about um a game that i'm blanking on the name of at the moment but uh there there was a game that came out for apple watch that involved uh notifications being sent to your apple watch where there was like an astronaut crash landed on a planet oh was a space plan uh no space space plan is another great game that's just uh that's an incremental game but uh this game like the astronaut would send you questions just like okay i i need to get off this fucking planet uh what what do i do and it would give you a bunch of options and then in real time over time uh you would get more notifications from this astronaut as they were like trying to get help and it would take like a day or two for them to like reach back to you and be like oh shit did did he die <laughs> like i sent him out to this crater is he is he done for uh and then you know he'd yeah. reach out to you three days later and be like oh shit oh thank god he's alive um you kind of like forget that the game is happening in the background which is really interesting i, I i'm just so interested in those kinds of those kinds of explorations of of like different ways to interact with a video game even like down to there was this incredible incredible game it was kind Kind of like a kind of an interpretation of risk, but mm-hmm. in space. It was called Neptune's Pride. Which have you and I ever talked about Neptune's Pride on the show? I'm a, I, I, no, but I'm so in already. Yeah. Tell me more. Okay, so <laughs> Neptune's Pride why, is I'm this in. game that's kind of like space risk. Uh, where essentially there's a big galaxy and there are all these planets and like moon systems and things like that all over this grid, kind of like in risk, there would be different, you know, countries and places and things like that. And essentially everybody who is playing and you can have like a ton of people, you can have like 20 something people playing the same game are each taking a corner of this galaxy. And your whole thing is you have to just kind of expand out as much as possible, just like risk. You, you want to own the entirety of the galaxy by the end of it. And that is through things like trade and, and, uh, war and everything thing that you would expect uh, diplomacy whatever so you're playing it with real people and we uh, for the first time we ever played this uh decided to take it to its like logical extreme we're like let's just skip to like the the top tier playing of this game where we all had this big excel sheet of just generated fake star wars uh names so we all had fake names and nobody knew who anyone else was you couldn't really like um you, you couldn't really like uh team up with anybody that you knew in real life like it was just like you, you just had to team up with whoever was around you but the beauty of this game is that it takes place in real time and the ships flying from one planet to another will take like days. 
it'll take like four days to go from one planet to another. And there's like a hundred planets in this galaxy that you're trying to take over. So the whole game takes like two months to three months. And, and it got to the point where like a lot of us who were playing started setting alarms for like three in the morning when like your ship was going to land out of planet. So you could immediately like build a base there or send it to another planet or like refuel or something. We got so, so, so in depth uh, with this game. And I had never experienced anything like that before. It was so wildly intense, but also so slow. Yeah. And, and methodical and and I don't know I I've just never experienced stuff like that before and I really really appreciate when games kind of like try and push the boundaries of like what what player interaction can look like or what it even should be oh yeah you know like the Absolutely. idea of taking a game like risk and making it take over the span of you know six to eight months is like like an inherently like wild bonkers like nobody should do it idea but suddenly you implement it and it becomes like one of these experiences that my friends and I who played it together bring up all the time so like hey do you want to get another game of Neptune's Pride going and everybody's like eh, not really like i i was in like a <laughs> fucked headspace for like six months because of that game like it really <laughs> ruined me um but like we all look back on it fondly even though it, it, it was so brutal in a way um yeah and and i've lost the plot a little bit here but i i just think um a game like florence can inspire so many things and a game like neptune's pride can inspire so many things and it's great to see that something like florence has evolved into something like if found which i'm really excited to check out now yeah like i said i have it on my phone already it's it's what five bucks i think on ios um yeah even I'm less, excited to check it out. Yeah, yeah, I could not. It's it's just a sure thing. I can't recommend it enough to like anyone. Which is cool. Like just to you know, like sometimes it's a game that you and I will love that we're like, okay, if you're you know really into like uh, X, Y, and Z, you'll like this. Yeah. But maybe not otherwise. But like this just feels like everyone should play it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think just the the simple idea of like narratively and emotionally and mechanically exploring the idea of progression. And of like time passing mm-hmm. in a medium, but like you are responsible for like the erasure of the past. Um, really, really fascinating. And it's so simple, but so effective. Yeah. Um, yeah. Could not recommend enough. Cool. You want to talk about Splatoon real quick? <laughs> yeah, I do. So in other news, um, they uh, kind of out of nowhere recently announced a because uh, Splatoon 2 had been finished after close to three years of like constant updates. I think what was like six months ago, they were like, this is the last one. Yeah. The last yeah, they did fest. one final Splatfest. It was like a huge thing. Um, yeah, it was really great. I, I forget what the final one was. I think it was like good versus evil. It was like really in your face just about uh, yeah, and for those yeah, unfamiliar um splatoon is nintendo's take on a competitive shooter easily one of my favorite series i don't think it gets enough credit even though it's huge like i still think it deserves to be up there like it's kind of interesting to think about like how animal crossing is now kind of first tier nintendo ip yeah uh i would love for splatoon to be up there one day too um but Basically, it's this idea of a uh, team-based shooter where through a variety of weapons, you uh, shoot your team's color paint over an environment and you can swim in that paint to go faster. You're these kind of like squid-human hybrids that can uh, do this. It's a lot more visually appealing than that might sound. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's it's beautiful. In terms of design, yeah. yeah. I want to say in terms of design, like the the not only the art direction is incredible but like the the game 
highly incentivizes getting new uh, equipment, which is just like the coolest fashion in existence. Yeah, it's just streetwear. Like they lean so hard into streetwear, graffiti culture and like all this stuff. I I think it really they blended it all together in like an extremely visually appealing and like very fucking trendy video game uh, in a way that I really appreciate, which honestly got me more excited for Animal Crossing because it was like if if the Animal Crossing team is is studying so much streetwear, I'm excited to see like what they're what they're going to put into Animal Crossing fashion wise. Uh, And and a lot of it has carried over, which I really enjoyed. But anyway, yeah, I think I think people really prioritize their fashion Animal Crossing, too. And there's a lot more like kind of non sequiturs and surrealness in Animal Crossing's like wardrobe collection. But like it still has that that sense of freedom in Splatoon. Um, But yeah, uh, Basically, how it used to work was like every so often, um, kind of like how Isabella announces, you know, the morning, like if there are any updates or anything, uh, these two squids, Marina and Pearl, who are like VH1 hosts, basically, like announce any changes to the game, what the daily maps are, anything else. And if there are Splatfests, which like every, I think, month or two, there would be like you join one side versus the other and uh, it would be some type of argument like spoons versus forks or whatever. So they had finished all that and people still play the game game obviously but like there has there hadn't been a new splatfest or any new updates in a while and then kind of out of nowhere nintendo was like hey new update for splatoon 2 and a new splatfest uh mayonnaise versus ketchup which was the um, first ever splatfest that's worth noting yeah um so so they're going back to the beginning and, and i'm curious to see if they're gonna uh c- continue just like going through all the previous splatfests like if they're just kind of on like a programmatic loop now and if it's not like a thing that they're updating the game with which is kind of exciting um i wonder it's yeah, worth I mean, noting by the way that like the i think splatfests are like a really brilliant way of of doing an event in this game because it kind of uh centers the entire community around like one specific thing uh or two specific things i guess in this case but the actual act of going going through and playing a Splatfest is not like we've introduced this new game mode and you have to play it this way or else you don't count for Splatfest or whatever. You just pick a team and then you just continue playing Splatoon as you normally would. And then you get points for that. Like you get rewarded just for continuing to play the game as you would just with this like added heightened kind of like community building verve on top of it, which I really, really love. I think it's like the right way to do an event in a game like this. Uh, whereas you see a thing like Call of Duty or Destiny or whatever and they'll include an event and be like, no, you have to play uh, Capture the Flag 1v1, you know, or something like <laughs> just like egg day. Yeah, exactly. It'll be like a fucking egg day situation. I, I, I really enjoyed the way they implemented Splatoon Splatfest. I, I had a great time with them. But anyway, yeah. did you play you, Did you play the new one? Yeah, I did. I am team man is nice, um, which like I thought a lot. I thought a lot about it because I was like, OK, <laughs> I part of me wants to be team ketchup, but I can't deny that I use mayonnaise more frequently and has more versatility as a topic. Interesting. But as my friend Sadie pointed out, team mayonnaise sounds like an abandoned concept for a team rocket type group in Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, team mayonnaise. Uh, and yeah, it would be it would be Pokemon ketchup and Pokemon mustard, and then team mayonnaise <laughs> would be the villain, right? Yeah, and then relish is your rival. Or something. <laughs> uh, God, Pokemon hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 don't say it because then it's become the episode title. <laughs> that's that's the crystal version, right? That's like the, uh, the third version. Yeah, there's like a bird made of French fries. All right. Anyway, all that aside, yeah, I played it. It, it just like Splatoon is one of those games where like whenever I go back, I, I wonder why I ever stopped playing. It's so good, and and in terms of the implications of what this like out of nowhere Splatfest means it could very well be like they're just gonna keep this loop going to like do that but part of me feels like 
I, I just have a feeling that Splatoon 3 is like coming out soon. And I wonder if it's just like to get people hyped for it. Yeah. Um, well, you, you and I talked off the podcast about this because they did an event where you could download ARMS for free and play it for like a week. And that was to celebrate the addition of like, I don't know his name, Ar- Mr. ARMS, ARMS guy, whatever his name is, like the main guy from the box, from the box art of ARMS. They added him to Super Smash Brothers or they're adding him to Super Smash Brothers. And to celebrate oh, that. Oh, is it him? Do they confirm that? Or is it one of the other characters? Um, oh, I don't know, actually. I don't I don't know if they have yeah. an ad, but they said a character from ARMS is going to show up in, in gotcha, gotcha. Super Smash Brothers. Um, and, and to celebrate, they, they made ARMS free for a weekend. And then this got announced. They they made Splatoon free for a weekend if you didn't already have it. And then they also added a Splatfest, um, you know, for new people coming in like, hey, check out how cool this game is. And there's no second announcement. There's nothing else that we know of that's happening yet attached to this, which I, I think like to your point, does that mean there's a Splatoon 3 in the works and has it been in the works? Uh, does that mean there's some kind of added thing that's going to happen with Splatoon uh, outside of that? I'm not really sure. Are they adding Marina and Pearl to Smash Brothers? Like, I don't know. That'd I'm just like, I'm excited to find out um, if there is any connection here or if it's literally just Nintendo saying like, oh, uh, this works really well. When we made arms free. Why don't we try it with another game and see if that works? You know, yeah. um, it could just be like a marketing push to sell more copies of a video game, uh, especially sure. to all the new people who just bought switches because of quarantine. Like they're the switch is like one of the hottest selling things, I would say, of, of the quarantine situation so far. It could just be like a marketing push to sell more copies of things that aren't Animal Crossing. That uh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. It could very well just be that but I'm, i just i keep thinking about how i mean we're in a very different scenario now so i imagine like the future is even more uncertain but i always think about how like nintendo traditionally has the like end of the year game that's like a big deal yeah. so like last year it was pokemon the year before that it was smash brothers the year before that i think it was like mario so like yeah, it was Odyssey, yeah. you know ev- every every uh at least like from october to november there's like end of the year game and there isn't one we know of the next big thing are the pokemon the first pokemon expansion comes out in june which is awesome yeah uh and then in july which we're both really excited about and they just announced this like truly out of nowhere is a new paper mario game yeah which i cannot wait for i i love that series i never expected it to come back like at all uh yeah and i'm really curious to see what they do with it this time yeah they've Um, been saying um they've been alluding to in like earnings calls and stuff that they're that this is the year of mario this is like a big mario year for them and there have been rumors that there's going to be like remasters of the galaxy games and sunshine and 64 and stuff all coming to switch at some point potentially like there have been all these rumors about different mario stuff and and i had heard i had seen in some places like maybe paper mario and i was just like no way (laughs) I, i just think was gonna happen because as from what i recall and i i've only played the n64 one so i don't really know but from what i've heard like the previous couple haven't been super great um or at least people didn't really connect with them outside of the writing like the actual gameplay wasn't that stellar um, uh the wii one was kind of a miss the gamecube one is apparently great it just kind of was a like hidden gem mm. for for context this series i would argue started with super mario rpg and super nintendo yeah definitely, uh, definitely. which square helped uh, make and that was like what if you made Mario a kind of like Hitchhiker's Guide toned self-aware RPG adventure yeah um, and then they followed up with Paper Mario on 64, which like kept the RPG roots, but kind of did something new with the presentation and the and the format. I love that game. And the GameCube one follows in those footsteps. But the Wii one, they tried to make it more of a platformer. It was kind of like Fez, where the whole conceit was like, 
you could go between 2D and 3D. It just wasn't like what the series had done well. It's kind of like uh, when Banjo-Kazooie decided to make cars. Like, why are you doing this suddenly? Oh, nuts uh, and bolts. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it looks like uh, there's nothing really to go. Uh, the new one is Origami King, which like begins with a very ominous Princess Peach, who is a origami folded version of herself. And like a la yeah. the Borg is like, will you also be folded? Yes. Um, which is really interesting. But uh, it's not clear if it is more like the Wii game, which was like more of a like experimental platformer, or if it's going to have more of an RPG vibe. It looks like it's kind of doing both. Based yeah, on the for, so from what I've seen online, because a lot of people have been like, you know, classic fucking internet situation where they're like going frame by frame in the announcements and stuff and trying to like yeah. figure out exactly what it is. It seems like the the combat is turn based. It's just very visual um, and, and it's a really interesting twist on turn based combat, but it is still turn based. Um, so that's exciting from a battle perspective, because yeah. I know a lot of fans really wanted that to come back. And now I, I've my my eyes have been open to the beauties of, of turn based combat. <laughs> over the past couple months um so i'm yes. i'm fucking amped about it i i'm really excited to play paper mario um just i a lot of people have been surfacing screenshots of uh of, of old games specifically the writing which like i feel like i've missed out on so much having not played some of the some of the more recent entries just because the writing is so fucking funny like it's such a funny game um yeah. and you and i talk all the time about how 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 infrequent funny games are so I, i'm excited to play a nintendo one soon it's a really it's a really nice balance that i think is hard to strike like at least the original paper mario like it, it just felt like it was a satire of mario but also had stakes and like a sense of adventure yeah and that way it kind of has like I, I would compare it up to like terry pratchett or hitchhiker's mm, guy yeah, like yeah. That, that sense of like it is very tongue-in-cheek and self-aware but like takes the characters and the stakes seriously and like does have a sense like the first one especially like collecting the stars and getting all the summons like, there's a sense of whimsy that like scratched the same final fantasy itch for me but like with mario somehow right it was really cool yeah i what's so funny about all this is like i just i care so little about mario as like a character <laughs> you know i i just care yeah. about mario as a vessel for fun you know what i mean which like maybe is what nintendo wants but like as a character like they're making a, a mario movie um i think illumination is working with nintendo to make like a mario animated film and like i don't want to see mario say human lines like i don't I don't, yeah. I don't need to know what his personality is um the fact that he's a blank canvas is kind of better for me personally. But as I mentioned a lot on this show, my vibe is always they announce a Mario game. I don't care about it until it comes out. And then I impulse buy it and I love it. Like, that's always how this yeah. it happened with Super Mario Maker 2. It happened with Mario Odyssey. It happened with um, the Wii U Mario, the 3DS Mario. Like, just going all the way back is always my vibe. Um, Paper Mario is the first one that I'm, like, amped to get immediately. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm really looking forward to talking about that game when it comes out. Well, your, your indifference to Mario's character is kind of like paralleled by the writing of those games like the 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 characters are all like your investment in that world emotionally is everyone around mario yeah and it's interesting because it looks like your main companion in this game is folded up bowser who's like your navi in a weird way which like <laughs> i'm really happy to see because uh super mario rpg is one of the few games where bowser is a party member he's like mm -hmm. your ally in the game right it, it's like <laughs> it, it's it's like if Mario is a void, all the like fears, it's like his unconscious aid manifests as Bowser. And there's like <laughs> weird fleeting moments where I feel like Nintendo explores that like at the very uh, Mario Odyssey spoiler, but whatever. Um, at the end of Odyssey, where 
both Bowser and Mario propose to Peach on the moon, and she's like, you're both awful, and leaves. And they're just together on the moon. Yeah. Like, in this small moment of comfort, they're facing away from each other, but Mario has, like, an aloof hand on the back of Bowser, and I'm like, this is so fascinating to end on this note. Yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> to have Mario and Bowser together on the moon, united by their rejection. And and not to mention, you end Mario Odyssey by possessing Bowser, and that's how you save the day. It's like they need each other. Yeah. And this weird... Yeah, they're, they're Batman and the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. And then you go to back to the Mushroom Kingdom, and Luigi's like, bro, I got this great idea for a game. It's called Balloon World. Like, Get the fuck out of here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm so like, I think we'll get more into uh, more game announcements in the second part of stuff we're excited about, but like could not be more pumped for Paper Mario. And like in terms of like me as a Nintendo fan, I don't need anything else. Like I don't need there to be this big end of the year event, especially right now if there isn't one in the works. I'm just really curious because like Nintendo, as we see with stuff like Paper Mario comes out next or in like two months, they don't really announce things until they're like out within at least six months. Yeah. Or, you know, at most. Yeah. It's usually, like, a week before they're like, here's Gino's adventure. <laughs> <laughs> I think know? I just think they've learned their lesson in a way. Like, Metroid Prime 4, for example, has been in the works forever. But, you know, recently yeah. they had to scrap all production and then move it to a new production house. Like, a new studio is taking over Metroid Prime 4 now. Um, so they started from scratch, and it's becoming a new video game. And, like, they announced that, I don't know, three years ago at this point, And it's, like, just now starting to uh, start development, you know? So I think I think in those kinds of instances, they've kind of learned the lesson and, and maybe this is just the better way for them to announce stuff. And like you said, we'll talk about this later because um, there's a whole bunch of Nintendo stuff to, to cover. But um, yeah, do you want you want to take a break and come back and we'll talk about more stuff? That sounds good. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so pumped for Paper Mario. But yeah, let's take a break. Cool. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Brendan, we're inside of the break, which is always a funny phrase. For I was me. just about to say, uh, it's, I, I don't think we're, yeah. we're supposed to call out that it's the break, but it sure is. I mean, it's how it's how we yeah. order our events when we're talking about uh, planning episodes in advance. We're like, oh, let's talk about this during the break. But I feel like it's just another segment. Yeah, it is. It, it's, I just I, the phrase inside the break, which we use frequently, stood out to me. Yeah. I guess it's unconsciously like into the aether, but like <laughs> it, it reminds me like we're <laughs> like hiding in a cave. Like, I don't want anyone else to know this, but. Um, I've been playing Neverwinter, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which funny you should uh, say that, Stephen. I um, I haven't played Neverwinter, so let me let me set this up because uh, this is like a total non sequitur. Which like we don't really follow any any logic here. Any any game is free to be brought up, but yeah, Boston Market to to if found to Splatoon, uh, that that all was a logical progression of events. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so I recently got my own place and, uh, my really good friend and ex roommate, Nico, uh, hello, if you're listening, he was like, Hey, like, I'd love to find a game we could play together. Like once we're in different places, which was a really nice sentiment. Yeah, um, totally. And our other friend and ex roommate, Bobby had just recently got a PS4 just like, okay, what would be a fun game that is like completely stakes free? That is completely free. And that you don't even need, <laughs> literally don't even need a PlayStation subscription to play together. Right. Um, which is actually awesome. Awesome. Neverwinter. Uh, it is a completely free, and I underlined that and put it in bold, <laughs> completely free MMO that is made by the same people who made City of Heroes, which I often have a soft spot for. 
because like would love just making superheroes and then never playing it <laughs> but the yeah. character creator in that game yeah, yeah totally was incredible uh, it's made by the people who made uh city of heroes and city and city of villains as well and also made in conjunction with uh dungeons and dragons uh in that it is set in the lore of like the core dungeons and dragons handbooks right. which is kind of cool yeah and because of that you know when you make a character you can choose between uh the core handbook races like elf half elf half orc all that kind of stuff mm. uh drow dragonborn you know <laughs> your pick uh and then your class now uh the presentation of this game is just so wild it it truly so like i i was excited to check it out and i went in just being like okay this is free it'll be fun like just to see what how it's like and i'll say in short like for a free mmo it's it's not bad it it, it it's definitely not going to change your mind about like like it's not like a it, it makes me look on ff14 a game we really like and kind of be even more blown away by like what they're doing with an mmo that was gonna be like, my genre. big point yeah totally um because this very much feels like it is operating within exactly uh and predominantly what you expect it is it's um, the most mmo ass mmo i think i've ever played and that is like that's comparing it to like world of warcraft you know what i mean like it is somehow more of an mmo than world of warcraft is it is like we talk about games like uh dragon quest and um other other games with a similar tone that kind of flaunt being like a very like traditional story this feels like someone found like a rain done notebook from the 70s like it is the (laughs) least inspiring Ver- like I, I do think there's a lot of really cool stuff in the lore of D and D, and like credit where credits due, that was short of Tolkien, like the first kind of stuff like about that. Yeah. Um, but it is so like my favorite thing about the game is that most of the plot is delivered by people who give you quests and they don't stop talking even if you've closed yeah. the box yeah. and have walked away. <laughs> so it, it's just like, so funny to be like, oh, you're new here. The orcs have taken the crown of Neverwinter. And, and just make sure when you go to the right, it's like you get farther <laughs> away. Shout, like, still, shouting at you, like, as oh, you as you've already sh- turned in your yeah. quest and have now moved on to another quest. Yeah, should have sharpened my sword of the blacksmith, but you could find by opening your menu. It's like, I'm already in the next town, dude. I finished that. I quest. do really appreciate every game, and especially this one that uh, that specifically calls out what button you need to press to do things. Like press the options button to open your menu. It's like yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> this is the least immersive shit. <laughs> oh, you're finally here. Press triangle to <laughs> yeah, slay exactly. this demon once and for all. Yeah, it is. It is like you said. You, the first message you sent me is why is this game so funny? <laughs> And I was playing it with my friend Nico, and like we were just cracking up because every boss is introduced as like Lug Garmish or some yeah. orc name, and like they just ragdoll immediately when you beat them, and then <laughs> you know the music is just so weird and bad, and like for some reason in the character creation menu. There's like real, like real bad, real bad heavy metal playing yeah. oh, that's man, it's like awful. totally, totally not present anywhere else. Yeah. All that to say. The things that it does that I actually find kind of interesting. One, I appreciate that like you level up real quick. Like I was playing with with my buddy and like in like an hour I was level 18. Oh wow. And for a free game, I I haven't really seen any reason or any like prompt to spend real money. Yeah. Yeah, the and, only one I saw in my very brief period of time was uh, in the character creator. There are two classes that I think you have to pay to unlock. Yeah. Or, like, or yeah. something like that. But like I mean I I picked up uh, Blades because you were talking about it and like literally that's a free game 
And as I was progressing the dialogue, it prompted me to spend $5. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah. uh, nice try. Um, so, you know, I appreciate that they're not like uh, pandering in that way. And there's something kind of interesting about whereas, um, you know, WoW or even FF14, FF14 eventually gets a increased sense of involvement in the rate in which you have to use your abilities. But it very much is like choose a target, watch your character attack, right. and then use your abilities as they refill. Whereas this game is kind of almost more in line with like Ultimate Alliance or something where it's a more active and arcade sense of like combat, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. I, I don't really see myself putting a lot of time into this game, uh, but like in a time where, where you know, if like you want just to have something kind of thoughtless to play with friends and like laugh at while you catch up, that's completely free. Like this, you know, it goes into in a tandem with you were saying like, Sometimes it's okay for a game to like just be very okay. Yeah, totally. Uh, and like this is that, but like is just like so hilarious. Like my main comedic influence is Elder Scrolls Four Oblivion, <laughs> and this is like yeah. the natural evolution of that of that comedic gold. Uh, it is so silly and so funny. I don't really recommend it, honestly. Other than the fact that, like, if you're just curious and like you have any kind of fleeting interest in. Uh, a game where you can have fun making your own character, but just completely take on like fleeting face value. Yeah, uh, it exists. <laughs> yeah, this, this is like this. This is almost the the like uh, the the peak into the Aether video game in a way where it's like <laughs> I, I downloaded this game and played maybe thirty minutes of it total and found it so off putting that I immediately stopped and deleted it from my PlayStation Four. <laughs> But I still would recommend it for all the reasons that you did. Like, it's a completely free video game. It'll get you that, like, uh, it'll scratch that, you know, fantasy itch and you can play it with your friends. Uh, it, it's it's yeah. it's goofy as hell uh, and and totally worth checking out. You know what it feels like? And, and this might be a little bit of like a, a weird, like maybe too niche of a reference. But I'm going to make it anyway. There's a there's a show on Apple TV Plus that came out recently that's uh, by the team that made It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's called Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet. Yeah. And it's about um, it's about Rob McElhenney, who is who is Mac on on Always Sunny. Uh, He runs a development studio for like the biggest MMO on the planet. uh, And it's called Mythic Quest. And it's about the development of a new uh, expansion that they're making called Raven's Banquet. And it's literally just like a kind of workplace comedy, like The Office uh, Superstore kind of thing. But about like a video game development studio. And this this game, Neverwinter, is so one-to-one what mythic quest looks like like when they when they show the in-game renders of what mythic quest is and it's like goofy as fuck and you just have no idea how it's the biggest game and on the planet in in that world of that tv show that's what that's what neverwinter feels like so if you are a person who uh, enjoys watching mythic quest like maybe check out neverwinter because it's just playing that video game neverwinter feels like when like older generations like oh all you do is play video games it's junk it's gonna melt your brain like since day one, I have sought to defend video games as an artistic medium, but like this is what those people worry video games are like. Like this is like <laughs> just like the least yeah. inspired work of fiction I've ever witnessed, and just so goofy. Um, but it has that charm of like a really bad diner that you somehow go to with your friends at 3 yeah. a.m. Yeah, it's like the shitty diner of free MMOs that like somehow wins you over, and like mechanically there are one or two things that I would love to see like the idea I'm a rogue and like I can spot traps 
but the rest of the team can't. It's a very classic ass D and D thing. Yeah. But like, I haven't really seen that in execution of like, okay, as we're dungeon crawling, and that's where I think the game shines. Like, I think when you're just in the open world, you're like, this is a hot mess. Like, yeah. the game can barely run with all these characters. <laughs> but like, when you're in the sewers, or you're like, you know, fighting orcs or whatever. It's like, okay, like I can like this is a very like classic Gauntlet Legends type of game. Yeah. Um, but like, is the definition of Uncanny Valley and like. Uh, just like no one is cool. It's just so funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely has like subpar diner energy that you somehow love. <laughs> That's never winter. It's available for multiple platforms. <laughs> you can download it for free and try it. Yeah. I just think it's cool too to like, yeah. That's all. That's truly all I have to say. I tried to say something else and it just evaporated into nothing. <laughs> Why don't uh, we go back? To, let's get out of this place and go back to the real show. That sounds good. That sounds good. Okay. Let, let's leave the break. Let's leave. Let's get. Let's hatch from the break and, uh, and be okay. reborn. I like this idea. Yeah. Wow. Resurrection. <laughs> we're, we're like. What is the plural of phoenix? That's what we are. We're we're two phoenix. <laughs> Hatching into Help! the ether. The Feni have attacked the watchtower. <laughs> Their flaming wings can be doused by your water spell, which you can use while pushing L1 and X. <laughs> oh, yeah. L1 and X is to jump. Never in my life. Like, I, I you know, I know a lot of the video games. I, I don't know as much about uh, game design. I think by osmosis, I picked up a bit. But, like, I can safely say that L1 and X to jump is just whack. <laughs> That's the most whack control I've ever seen. What the fuck? Hello, adventurer. Push L1 and X to jump. That's right. This is the Quop MMO. You are the gifted knight of calf muscles. Flex your calves and think about jumping to jump. Once you've jumped, make sure you go to the one-eyed god's uh, prison cell. There you'll find the princess. I can see you running away from me. Don't run away from me. I'm Only jump away from me. By <laughs> Only jump L1 away from the X. king. Never in my million years of living this tormented immortal existence have I seen an adventurer run away! I'm turning to Vegeta. <laughs> Silence, Kangarot! Push L1 and X to jump! I've had enough of this! <laughs> hey, Goku, make sure you oh put L1 and X to jump! Oi, <laughs> Goku, I got some senzo beads for you. Make sure you just press L1 oh and X to jump, God. man. Oh, <laughs> thanks! I'm sick of this, Kangarot! <laughs> Let's put down one and exit. I gotta stop. <laughs> oh, hey, man, you played Neverwinter too? I didn't see. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't mean to brag or anything, but I'm the top ranked player. That's right. Yajirobe69 is the top ranked Neverwinter player. I've got a Drow Rogue. Oh, great. Well, oh, I my guess God. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play Neverwinter. Every every time you 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 put on this face, it's like I'm done with it, and then you immediately launch into another one. <laughs> wow! I just got a flashback of my parents being like, "Just let him like be possessed for a bit. He'll eventually tire himself out." Yeah, I um, I mean, <sighs> never in my life have I felt more like I should impulse buy Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know what? I was just talking to my friend uh, Pat. Hello, Pat. About that, because I think that would be a fun into the Aether game as well. Yeah, so I can have more excuses to do all those voices. Yeah, uh, I I'm gonna get that game now. <laughs> I've been waiting for it to go on sale, but I think I, I think I'm just gonna get it. <laughs> My Ajirobi is freakishly close to Macho Man Randy Savage, but I think that's on purpose. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. It definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, this has been a fun break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's hatch and, yeah. uh, and uh, like two feni and the fiery winds ascend. Yes, press L one and triangle to ascend. Goodbye. Turn on your Xbox Connect and cross your eyes to jump. <laughs> if you want to walk to the nearest campsite, then simply walk. I don't even know what to do anymore. <laughs> hey, Brendan, uh, I hear that there were a bunch of new games announced for the Summer Games Fest. <laughs> Not a good intro? You want to try again? No, it was, it was perfect. It was a perfect okay. intro. A little look behind, a little peek behind the curtain uh, for how the show is made. Uh, when we say we're taking breaks and coming back, generally we're just sitting in the chair and there's like five seconds between <laughs> between us saying that there's a break and we're coming back. We're so not we're actually still going anywhere. DBZ'd up. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to talk about Summer Games Fest, but now I don't even know if I want to. You want to talk um, about Senzu Beans instead? I, I would love it. I think I need a Senzu Bean, TBH. <laughs> I think we both to fucking recover. <laughs> From whatever just happened. <laughs> there was a battle of wits that just happened. You win some, you lose some. Yeah. Um, Summer Games Fest is an event that is happening on the internet currently. So here's the thing. E3 has been a big thing for you and I for a long time. Um, it's our season like, marker, yeah. Yeah, def- definitely on the show, on Into the Aether. And at least personally for me, like it's always kind of been a big deal. Like I would always take off work during E3. Uh, I would invite friends over. We'd all get like pizzas and lunch and stuff when we would like watch all the press conferences which is like goofy and fucking lame but it's a thing that we enjoy doing so we do it um i love that but um generally also i I don't know like there was a time when i was running a video game website uh for a bit where like we would do big long live streams where we would talk about it and stuff like that so i've been taking notes on e3 for like years and years uh and e3's canceled this year e3's just not happening yeah uh, because of you know the the global nightmare so um, Jeff Keeley, who uh, is responsible for uh, the the Game Awards and was previously responsible for the Spike Game Awards, which woof um, nightmare. Yeah, he he, he uh, has put this thing together that's called that's called Summer Games Fest, which is essentially just like all the announcements that were supposed to happen at E three are now happening uh, over the span of like multiple months. It's from it's from May through August, which I, I think is really interesting. He I, I saw I saw Jeff Keighley give an interview that described uh, his role in Summer Games Fest as pretty much like an air traffic control guy. Like he is just pretty much saying, OK, here's every announcement that was supposed to happen at E3 in one week. What if we space these all out and gave them enough time to breathe so each of them could be its own news hit? Because that was always kind yeah. of the big the big like weird catch 22 of E3 is like, you want this huge announcement. You want to like, you want to uh, stand toe to toe with the fucking giants. You, you want to be able to announce your game and also have it be as important as, you know, Xbox announcing a new console. But also that's never really going to happen because as soon as Xbox announces a new console, like that's the news. And, and your game that you announced uh, 15 minutes beforehand is not the news, you know? So like that, that's always kind of been an interesting dichotomy about that show. So the idea of taking it and spacing it out so everyone kind of gets their own time, I think, is really interesting and really compelling. Um, and yeah. so far, at least like it's been a month of this just about. Um, I think it's been successful. I think it's been really successful. Totally. Yeah. Um, because pretty much every announcement that's happened has been at least interesting. Like, I, I think the only kind of like stumbling block so far has been the the Xbox Series X announcement that happened where they prefaced it with a lot of marketing that said, we're going to be showing you the first ever gameplay of the Xbox Series X. We're going to show you gameplay of Assassin's Creed uh, Valhalla, which is the new Assassin's Creed game that's set in like Viking times. You know, it's going to be this big event. And then they 
just proceeded to show off a bunch of like probably in engine, but like a bunch of pre-rendered cuts, not pre-rendered, but a bunch of in engine cutscenes, you know, um, but no actual real gameplay. Like there's very little real gameplay in the inside Xbox event. Um, and then yeah. it all culminated in the Assassin's Creed Valhalla trailer, which was, again, just in engine cutscenes and no actual gameplay. So like you didn't really actually get any of what that game is going to play like. Um, not that you can't just into it with the next Assassin's Creed game is going to play like, by the way. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but, you know, it was it was a big marketing push that ended up just kind of being a dud. That said, there's some really interesting stuff that showed up in that conference or some games that stood out. Um, the thing that really surprised me about the the inside Xbox thing was just like the homogeny of of video game art styles in a way. Um, you and I have talked a lot, a lot in the past about how the PlayStation 4 and the studios that are under the PlayStation banner, uh, like all the first party stuff, has definitely like an auteur style, right? Like like Sony's PlayStation Studios has like an auteur style, which is every game that comes out, every AAA game to them, AAA means over the soul, over the soldier, over the shoulder, third person, like narrative adventure game kind of right. Sometimes they're shooting involved, sometimes there's not. But you look at Spider-Man, you look at God of War, you look at The Last of Us, Last of Us 2, what else? Ghost of Tsushima, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later. Like, all these games are over-the-shoulder, third-person, narrative adventure games. And some of them are open world, some of them aren't, but, like, that's the formula for them. Um, What was really fascinating to me about the Inside Xbox event was that Xbox has now stuck their flag in the ground, and they say that Xbox Game Studios... Our style is first-person narrative adventure game. That's that's the differentiator between AAA games from Sony uh, Sony PlayStation Studios and 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 Xbox Studios, which I found really interesting. But the ones that had like actual distinct art styles, like that had like real art. Not I don't want to say real art direction. I don't want to put too many games down, but like real art direction that I think like w- was going for an, an aesthetic idea. Um, really stood out and the ones that were like trying to recreate real life didn't because they all kind of looked the same which is kind of a weird kind of a weird back and forth i think but but that said uh outside of that i mean there have been some like really awesome announcements in summer games fest and they tend to just happen where like jeff or the summer games fest twitter account will just send out like hey tomorrow at uh, 11 p.m or 11 a.m eastern there's gonna be a live stream we're gonna announce something and then everybody tunes in you don't know what it is and then suddenly it shows up and then you find out what it is so like one example that you and i were fucking amped about uh was was tony hawk pro skater one and two remastered which got announced and is coming out and like the 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 discussion about that about those games and like what they've uh, announced about those games has been so wild like they said that they're they um they got uh mocap footage of all of the skaters that were in the original game again so like they're all like old guys now they're like dads yeah right which i honestly love cuz i think it's that, awesome. that to me yeah that to me speaks to them being like let's kind of like honor ourselves and like skateboarding over like trying to pitch it as this like you know because i think uh someone made a really funny tony hawk timeline of like all yes, the games yes, yes. and like if if tony meets bam and if bam wins or if tony wins yeah uh, uh, very similar like, to the to the legend of zelda timeline yeah yeah does, does he defeat or not um, defeat ganon yeah but like I mean, and, and the Tony Hawk Pro Skater games since the first one have always kind of had like an irreverent sense of humor. Like it has that like Beavis and Butthead energy oh, yeah. with like playing as Spider-Man or like the, the Officer Dick uh-huh. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like one through four were very much about skateboarding and kind of arcadey. And then I really loved Tony Hawk Underground, but that was like 
it became um, more about the culture of video uh, of video games. Uh, it became more about the culture of skateboarding than about skateboarding. I don't even. I think it became more about like being like South Park or something. Yeah. yeah. The the. I mean, when Underground came out, that was I think in two thousand four. The the zeitgeist of that time in video games was Grand Theft Auto three. Mm-hmm. So like. Right. Every game was trying to kind of build themselves around that idea of like there being sort of uh, this was before open world, but it was definitely like a sandbox mentality and like having kind of uh, like, you know, at the time of reverent sense of humor. I think I think Underground, though, was cool in that it um, I mean, I haven't played in a long time, but like even though it had this this kind of absurd filter on it, it did kind of show this story of like what it takes to get sponsored and like. You know, all that, which is kind of it was grounded enough to have like a sense of adventure and a sense of like, oh, shit, like this is what this world of skateboarding looks like, because it's really interesting how like what was like truly an underground thing that like was not popular or even talked about became like the MTV marketing event of our childhood. Yeah. Every time the X Games happened, it was like a huge fucking deal. It was like the Olympics. For yeah, for like dudes like us who were I don't know nine years old, I guess. <laughs> I remember getting a skateboard when I was nine and being pissed that I just couldn't do all of that immediately. Yeah, you can you can <laughs> crush there. Yeah, um, but I think I think I mean I don't I, I have a few friends who skate and like I feel like and correct me if I'm wrong if anyone listening is more knowledgeable of this, but I feel like now. We're at a point where the people who follow skating or the people who skate are the people who really love it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's gone from the like kind of over the top marketed MTV event and is now like people who cherish it and respect it. And this game, at least in the promo material, feels like they're they're honoring both like the original games and like skating itself. You know, with the original soundtracks coming yeah. back with the older skaters, they're not glamorizing anything. They're just showing it and, and therefore like kind of putting it on a proper pedestal. Yeah. Um, um, and and cool. they gave it to the team uh, that remastered the Crash Bandicoot games. Oh, so wow. like, just based on the the quality of those, I think it's going to be pretty solid. Um, I'm really excited. I've been talking a lot recently, like off the podcast, about wanting to find my PS2 and find like a converter so I can plug it into my TV uh, and play the Tony Hawk games again. So this is like, this couldn't be timed better for me personally. I'm yeah. like so amped about doing it. I really loved these games. I played every single one of them uh, growing up. Like I played one through four and then thug and then thug two and then American wasteland. Like I really did the whole thing. So this, this is so exciting. This is so exciting to me. Uh, What what a, what a wild announcement, something that I I wasn't asking for or expected. Um, But that's the kind of thing that summer games fest kind of provides weirdly. Yeah. It's just like, you never know what you're going to get. And like, it might be a, it might not be what you want, but at least it's something interesting. You know what I mean? Like you, you get the inside Xbox event and like it might not have been that great, but at least there was like one or two things I pulled away from it thinking like, that's cool. I am excited about next gen a little bit now. And and I think I think the Tony Hawk one and two remaster is going to be sick. Yeah, there's such a void in my life for a game like that right now. And also like Tony Hawk, not a hot take. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5 was like just a train wreck. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. sadly. Totally. So I think this this feels like a nice comeback for the series, and I imagine it will be great. Yeah. So if only just to have like the soundtrack <laughs> on in the background. Right. Uh, but I had this absurd dream of Tony Hawk being put in Smash Brothers and having the warehouse as a stage. Oh my That's god! Like, Could you imagine? 
<laughs> I, oh, I can. And I have. Yeah. Would, it, would it be uh, Tony just, Hawk 1 through 4? Or would it be Tony Hawk Underground where you can get off the skateboard? I think that B is getting on and off the skateboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, side B is to grind. Uh, <laughs> down B is an ollie. Uh-huh. And uh, side, uh, we'll figure it out. But <laughs> I think he gets I on I think neutral air has to be Christ air, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You hit the smash ball, you do a 900. It creates like a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> and I want a Bob Burnquist Echo Fighter. Oh my God. For sure. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what what's to that make, guy's name? Rodney, no Rodney Mullen, the one who does all the manuals and like the, like pretty much the floor routine yeah. of skateboarding. A Chad Muska assist trick. <laughs> <laughs> this is so ridiculous. Hey man, I saw you skating. Here's a sick board. Um, yeah, so the, the Tony Hawk remasters, really, really rad. I'm going to close my window because somebody just started leaf blowing. What was the other thing I want to talk about? Oh, yeah, the the other uh, really kind of wild announcement that I saw from the Summer Games Fest that kind of that became to me or, or it was the moment that Summer Games Fest turned into a thing that wasn't just trying to recreate E3 and spread it out, but was like actually kind of a, maybe a more interesting way of doing things was um, the announcement of the Unreal Engine 5, which was like, yeah. Not a thing that I was expecting to get too excited about, you know, just like a tech demo for developers, essentially. Um, but but the way it, the way it was shown off was like it just really made me think about about video game players as consumers and like the surprisingly high level of in-depth knowledge that that they and we have about how games are made. I feel like most industries, like you look at uh, the comics industry or you look at like film or, or music or something like if you're a person who like loves like pop music or something like that doesn't necessarily mean that you know how pop music is made uh, per se. You know, you don't know about the like 500 writers that all submit songs to Rihanna so she can pick like 15 of them and then she gets into right. the studio and does it, you know, like that that is the, that is the process of making a pop song whereas i feel like a lot of people who are into video games or at least like are enthusiasts enough to like listen to a podcast like this one um yeah. are people who oh, like, like you and i yeah are, pe- are people who like know a little bit a little bit not not all because you know that's where you run into problems where people are screaming at developers like demanding changes that just don't fucking make sense yeah. um but but at least like a kind of surface level of, of what goes into making a game and something like the Unreal 5 engine announcement was like a really interesting pivot in Summer Games Fest where it went from we're just showing you cool new games to like we're showing you the technology behind the cool new games uh, and, and we're showing you uh, what is going to be possible in next gen like. You, a lot of people, I think, were going to the next generation thinking like the, the graphical leap isn't going to be that huge. And while that might be true, uh, what is being allowed for is kind of more open creativity. Um, so constraints that were uh, that, that were on you know previous generations like PS4 and Xbox One. Um, are starting to go away. For example, the PS5 having this like internal uh, solid state drive instead of like a regular ass hard drive as storage allows for load times that are like pretty much non-existent. So there have been demos of games running on PS4 and running on PS5 and they both load, you know, they, they try and get them both to load simultaneously and the PS4 is lagging behind by like, you know, 50 to 60 seconds whereas the PS5 loads the thing immediately. And, and while that's been cool in terms of just like load times for video games and like, Getting rid of load times between like going through areas or like open world games and things like that. What I didn't expect, I think, and what's been really interesting with the Unreal 5 engine demo showed was that those kinds of speeds also allow you to load assets in real time that are uncompressed. 
Um, so for those of you who uh, might not know how this works, like if you are to make an asset for a video game, say you're making a, a, a statue or something, you make this statue, it's beautiful, it's like highly detailed, it's incredible, but you're working in a lot of like really stark contrast. So when you take that asset and then you have to compress it down so it can fit on like a disc or a file or something like that, it's losing a lot of that data. Like think about uh, if you've seen a, a JPEG that's been like saved and uploaded and then saved and uploaded like a million times and it gets more and more compressed. Uh, and by the end, you have like kind of this like almost uh, this like Picasso-esque rendition of what the original JPEG was. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of what's happening with assets that are made for video games um, because they're getting compressed down and then they're like basest elements are what is presented to you. Um, and those have gotten more and more uh, high fidelity over time. What the Unreal 5 engine showed is that you can take an asset that you make in a, in a piece of software like Blender or something, and without compressing it at all, you can just take that file that you made, that, that asset file, and you can just throw it into a video game and not have to worry about it at all, which means wow. that yeah. as detailed and as beautiful as you want that thing to be, that can show up in a video game now. And because of the load speeds and render times of of, of the next generation that stuff is just depicted pixel perfect as it was carved in like blender or whatever um which i think really kind of will pave the way for just some really beautiful shit so that was like a big that was a big side of this the other big side of it was just like new lighting and new just rendering mechanics and things like that that just allow them to as they put it and like became a meme immediately like we can put trillions of triangles on the screen you know um, they were talking <laughs> yeah, about yeah. everything in terms of triangles uh, which I think for the layman was a little bit like what the fuck are you talking about um, but if you again if you know anything about like how, how things are rendered like that's a huge deal I mean you look at something like Cloud Strife in uh, the PlayStation 1 version of Final Fantasy 7 and you can visibly see the triangles that are on screen. You know what I mean? You can, <laughs> yeah. you can see that he is actually literally made of triangles. Uh, whereas in something like um, the demo that they showed off for Unreal Engine 5, I mean, there are so many that they're imperceptible, which I think is like kind of where people have wanted video games to get for a long time. Um, so I, I think uh, the big story to me of Next Generation is not just like, oh, the, oh, the lighting engine got better. Uh, and now things look nicer or now there are more realistic reflections, but more that developers have fewer constraints put on them in terms of what the technology allows for, which allows for more yeah. creativity. Like Mark Cerny, when showing off the PS5, talked a lot about how um, people while designing levels, like if you're a level designer, you need to put in things like elevators or you need to put like little tiny passageways with like pre-rendered uh, animations that like, OK, now uh, Joel is is shimmying through this like tight passageway. And what that's really doing is just masking the loading of the next area that he's he's shimmying his way towards. You don't need to do that anymore. You don't need the elevator masking as a loading screen for the next area yeah. because everything loads so quickly now that you can just have the area there and not have to do that. Um, right. And I'm really interested to see what kind of games pop into existence because of something like that. Um, sure. I, I think that's really exciting. I, I think anytime you can take constraints off of a creative, it's going to allow for more interesting stuff. Um, and even if it's not going to be like immediately noticeable, you know, like, it, are you going to play a game where there's not going to be any elevator masking a load time? And at the end of that game, you're going to be like 10 out of 10, no elevators in this video <laughs> game. Like probably not. But what you might walk away with is a, a more enriched level of immersion that you didn't even perceive. But at the end of it, you'll be like, wow, that game fucking ruled. And, I, and I'm not yeah. I can't put my finger on why. And that will be part of the reason. I mean, it goes full circle back to like something as simple as um, with if found erasing 
interesting as a mechanic for the narrative and the gameplay. Yeah. There will be new things, new mechanics allowed for that will be discovered over time. I think about with movies, like what a lot of people might not know is that color film existed well before it was mainstream, mm-hmm. like before it became the norm. Yeah. Like, it existed, but no one really saw the point because films were predominantly shown in black and white to the point where people literally dreamed in black and white, yeah. uh, which is fascinating. Yeah. But uh, movies didn't start using color in film and, and, and silent movies uh, sound existed, but it was used as like almost like a carnival trick where they would just be like a sound film. And it was like, oh, wow, kind of like how we use 3D. Right. Um, where it's like a spectacle. But it wasn't until certain movies used that for the narrative or for some kind of production value that it then paid the way for the main for for some type of mainstream usage in film. I imagine the same will happen from this new engine, where like like you said, it's not going to be like thank God those Mass Effect elevators aren't there, right, uh, right, right. But it will be, be because this has been lifted. Now there are unforeseen opportunities, uh, and conversely, uh, ironically perhaps new limitations that could also inspire their own creativity. Yeah, absolutely. On the flip side, there are sometimes constraints that can also inspire uh, creativity. Totally. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah. I I mean, just like on a personal level, uh, when I was in a band and the band broke up and I was like, oh, I want to keep making music, but I don't know what to make. My my first go to was I'm going to start making chiptune music because the idea of only using square waves for everything was like enough of a limitation that it kind of got me back into songwriting um, and, and composition. Um, so like, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, there, there's a, there's a fine balance between taking limitations off and adding limitations on, uh, in, in terms of how to make a creative work. Um, yeah. so I don't know. I, that I'm really excited about that. And I, I think that that, that engine unveiling as, you know, on the same pedestal as Tony Hawk one and two and, and the <laughs> yeah. inside Xbox event where they showed off new stuff, like putting an engine reveal on that pedestal, that same height really kind of pushed the summer games fest into something that I was like more interested in than just a replacement for E3. It became that moment where it was like, they're trying to do something new. And that's like, that's educate consumers about what is possible and what can be possible and get them to like dream a little bit bigger about what, what is coming down the line. Um, yeah. And I, I thought that was really exciting that that ha- so far to me has weirdly been the highlight of, of this event has been that unveiling. And then you have uh, companies like Nintendo who have opted out of the Summer Games Fest. They're like, actually, fuck this. We don't want to be part of it. And from what we've seen, rumor wise, uh, they have scrapped their plans for a Nintendo Direct. They were going to do a big Nintendo Direct anyway, because like that's all their E3 presence was for the most part was like a Nintendo Direct that streamed everywhere. Uh, sometimes press gets it a couple of days beforehand so they can write articles up. And then uh, and then they have a show floor that shows off whatever the one big thing that they're focusing on is. Apparently, they were like, we're actually not going to do that anymore. We're just going to release game announcements via our Twitter account, completely unannounced, no no uh, lead up or anything. And that creates moments like the Paper Mario announcement, which came out of no. I just woke up one morning and suddenly there was a new Paper Mario coming out in two months. And like, that's a cool yeah. world to live in also. So th- this idea that like Summer Games Fest is hyping stuff up like the day before and then you find out about it and Nintendo just saying, here's the thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> both have both have, I think, uh, equal weight in terms of like just getting consumers engaged and excited about things. Um, totally. And, and as just like a fan of, of, of the medium, um, it's kind of a, a cool time, even though we're obviously in an extremely rough period of like human history. Um, this is like a, a cool time to be a fan of video games. Um, I totally and, agree. and I think yeah. both of those things can coexist. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
the the engine is interesting because I think you and I both don't really like our interest in graphics is sort of like not I don't want to say non-existent, but it's like it's not. Um, I think time has has shown that like the games that dedicate themselves to a very purposeful art style age incredibly better than whatever like the limit of the technology of the time is. Yeah, the one that everybody uh, points to always is Wind Waker. Like Wind Waker is a game right. that, that came out on the GameCube <laughs> and that is like the perfect example of a video game that leans so hard into an art style and art direction that it aged perfectly. It still is as beautiful as it was when it came out because of that. Um, yeah. And then a game like Okami, which like also tried to do the same thing, but also tried to lean into the graphical hardware of the PS2 and create like PS2 era bloom lighting everywhere. Like didn't it aged well still, but didn't age as well for that reason. Yeah. Um, and then right. when they remastered it, they got rid of all that stuff and now it looks beautiful still. Yeah. You know, so like leaning, leaning into art style definitely helps in a lot of instances. Um, I get the appeal of making a game that is, you know, photorealistic for its time, but that will never be the case. I remember when Kelly Slater Pro Surfer came out, I got it and thought it looked photorealistic. You know, that's always the game in my head that's like, I go back and look at screenshots of it. I'm like, how did I ever think that that looked real? Right, um, right. And But, you know, now, I didn't even mention this, but um, or I mentioned a little bit last week, but I, I'm playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which, like, I played, you know, a little bit of the campaign, found it stomach-churning, found it, like, horrible just truly horrible. So I stopped playing the campaign um, and I started playing multiplayer, which is the actual reason I bought the thing was to play multiplayer with my friends who I haven't talked to in a long time. And, and it's so fun, you know, beyond just like mechanically, like it's so arcadey and dumb compared to the campaign, which is like trying to be grounded and realistic and like serious. The, the multiplayer is like just as fucking stupid as it's always been, which is kind of the, yeah. the charm of it. Um, but it is, it is so indicative of what triple a budget in a video game will get you right now, right now specifically. Um, yeah. but there's a reason that they're remastering call of duty four. And there's a reason that they're remastering modern warfare two right now is because those games while trying to push the boundaries of what the technology could do at the time didn't age well you couldn't go back and play call of duty 4 modern warfare and and think that it looked as good as it did the day it came out right yeah i think that the pinnacle of that is our muse oblivion which is like yeah. just the like lightning bolt of puberty and early yeah. xbox 360 graphics is just like they'll have Every wrinkle a eyelid will have, and then just like a clean slate of pure neon green orc cheek. Right. And you're like, why do why did I vomit everywhere? <laughs> yeah, but that also goes to show, like the inside Xbox stuff. The game that stuck out to me, or the two games that stuck out to me the most during that event were uh, Call of the Sea, which was like a very like cartoony kind of first person Indiana Jones-esque adventure, it seems like. Um, the other one was uh, the new Yakuza spinoff where... Uh, mm, you, that looks great. Yeah, you turn to a fucking neon dragon and beat the shit out of people. And like, <laughs> it's like a turn, it's a turn-based Yakuza game where you have like a dragon spirit that you shoot out of your hand. Like that's, that's amazing, you know? Yeah. Everything else, like I don't really know what else was part of that. I'm trying to think. Oh, there was that one game that was like... Uh, very, I thought that like hr geiger had somehow worked on it before he passed or something but it turns out that they were just like i don't want to say ripping him off but like they're ripping off his art style and turning it into a video game like that was that was interesting from a from a design standpoint but still looked like it was trying to be as photorealistic as possible um, yeah which like as exciting as it can be is sometimes a little bit off-putting in video games or i think worst can, case scenario yeah. makes me forget them immediately which is what happened to most of the other stuff that was announced you can draw inspiration from real life and seek to emulate it yeah i think 
I think uh, something that I, I read a lot of interviews with the people who worked on Final Fantasy VII Remake, and mm. in that game, they said that specifically with the character design, you know, the, the original characters are like so 90s anime and their design and proportions and like style that they're like, how do we, how do we like keep some of that style, but also make them look like human beings? Mm-hmm. And, and this, and I think like, in terms of the character design, I think that they did a great job for the most part. I think uh, so too. With that yeah. Cast and like they definitely are. Uh, I mean, there's some stuff with like there's some <laughs> very big fidelity issues of that game. But in terms of like designing the characters and like seeking that balance between photorealistic but also still having a style, uh, I think that that was an interesting middle ground to find. Yeah, um, I agree. We'll see how that ages, but I think like yeah, I, I think I think. Um, I, I use this analogy all the time, but like in illustration, if you're drawing a face and you're drawing quote unquote realistically, you're never gonna draw the like the lines in someone's smile on every pore. That's not like right. you know we perceive the things that stand out to our eye and we're gonna capture those. Uh, so even if it is photorealistic, it's never like no one. If you have all the details, it oddly doesn't look real. The same way, um, I don't know why I always bring up foley work on this show, but here I am. <laughs> uh, when you record a door closing, it it doesn't set like if you just had a camera on a door and only had like the audio of that door closing, it doesn't sound like we perceive a door closing. Hmm. Usually every door closing on like a sitcom or a movie is done in post with Foley work to capture like how we perceive that. So like there's always heightening needed, even in something that is that is seeking to evoke realism, which I think is really fascinating. But like you can tell the games that don't do that. And it's okay. well, this is just like a drab if it's just like. Yeah. And I think and that's the thing, like art is perception, not replication. Yeah, Uh, totally. You know, and and I think you can see the things that are perceiving things and changing it the way they look at it versus just trying to like capture something as a copy, which is why Oblivion is art. Uh, thank you for coming to my talk. <laughs> I do, I do want to um, just mention also like the people who are going out there and trying to like paint or, or do any kind of um, any kind of artistic work that is like trying to emulate photorealism, like is trying to be photorealistic. Uh, I, I don't want us to sound like that's not art because there's still composition at play there, right? There's, oh, yeah, there's no, still, of course. There's still other elements of that that like elevate it into being an art form and like oh, the, the craftsmanship I, I behind not, it. Yeah. No, I, I, know you're not, I know you're not saying that. Yeah, I just want yeah, to, yeah. to stifle that uh, criticism of our conversation. You can even, even tell that like, yeah, impressionism, like fucking, you know, the Mona Lisa or something is different than like the Jersey boardwalk pictures of Thor that you could tell someone just like scanned his face off Google. Mm-hmm. But that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Like any any art is valid. Any style is valid. But like, I think it's I think impressionism is inherently drawing inspiration and perception of real life versus like, uh, how do we scan this and put it in a game to make it look and and I think. I'm not I'm not dissing motion capture either. Uh, there's I mean, I think Death Stranding is a great example of a game that seeks to be photorealistic and very much is. Yeah. And it and it has so much artistic ambition about it. Totally. Yeah, I I, 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 I'm totally with you. I, I am not, I'm not saying that everything should be stylized. I just think that even in things that seek to be realistic, there is style in that, and yeah. at least there should be, right, in some way. Yeah. Uh, but who am I? I'm just the guy that screams like Yajirobe. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I guess just to like uh, put a cap on all of this, I am very interested in Summer Games Fest. We're only a month in. There are a couple more left. Um, we still are waiting for the PS5 announcement, which like just based on rumors seems like it's going to happen relatively soon, surprisingly enough. Yeah. Um, we're still going to get some more uh, Xbox Series X events. Uh, they seem to be doing one a month. Um, and on top of that, there are going to be all these surprise announcements from Summer Games Fest and also from Nintendo outside of Summer Games Fest. Uh, so I don't know. I, it's kind of an exciting time at the moment. Um, what that does leave for us is the big question of when do we move from season two to season three of this podcast? Because usually we have a big event where we uh, talk about all of E3 and then that's that's kind of our season marker. Um, so I guess, dear listener, if you have any any ideas uh, for for what our big event episode is going to be sometime in the next month? Uh, please let us know. We have some things that we're kind of talking about, and we're, we're we have season three in the works already, which will be very exciting to unveil. But outside of yeah, that, totally. yeah, please let us know if you have any ideas. Games of the decade part two. <laughs> games, yeah, games of the decade again. Here are the uh, 100 that didn't make it. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll do a we'll do a commentary track that you can play over our games of the decade episode. <laughs> We were so young. That's <laughs> we fucking stupid. This. We were so, so <laughs> foolish. If you seek to replicate real life, you will fail every time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for sure. I think we should just have our own special event. And I think the uh, dear listener. Yeah, we could, we could just announce games that don't um, exist. Don't tempt me. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I love that. We could just do like a big wish list. We could just have a fun, like, you know, everything we would want to see or hope for. Yeah, um, that's true. That could be fun. Uh, I do think though that June should always be like the mark of our season. I agree. Uh, I, I totally agree. Work. Yeah, it's also when we started. So yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. All right. Um, All right. I well, guess I guess it's time for us to wrap up then, huh? Yeah. What a range this episode. I can't believe I was talking about impressionistic art shortly after just screaming as Vegeta. <laughs> That's also kind of our vibe, I think. Yeah. Uh, a- um, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, hey. This, this show is always a grab bag. You never know what you're gonna get. That's kind of the charm of it, I think. Right. <laughs> If I had to boil it down, I think I think part of it is that, um, you know, you, we've mentioned it many times. I think to use your exact phrase, we're not beholden to what's new. It, it's just all about what we like um, and, and positivity. I sound like a villain, don't I? Sometimes I sound like a, a Dragon Ball Z villain. We're not beholden, we're not to, beholden what's to what's new. <laughs> I'll admit that hurt me a little bit. Or I don't know who that is. Just some frieza-esque person yeah uh yeah i guess we'll wrap up um thank you so much as always for listening we have a blast making this show no matter how it comes out <laughs> uh, we're very uh relieved that people listen to it and like it um if you like this show the best way to support it is to share it with a friend also rating us on apple podcasts out of five stars is also extremely helpful many of you have done so thank you if you really really like the show we have a patreon uh, into the cast all our Social media is into the cast. Um, and uh, uh, as we always say, if if backing the Patreon puts you in any kind of financial strain, please don't. Uh, but that being said, uh, we want to thank our very generous patrons. Do you want me to pull it up or do you have it already? I have it already. Oh, sick. Uh, thank you to Akira, Alex, Andrew, Andrew, Bede, Benjamin, Benjamin, Bolt, Brendan, Brett, Catherine, Chris, Christopher, uh, Siren, Craig, David, Dennis, Elliot, Enrique, Hilton, Ian, Inez, Jason, Jeff, Joeri, Josh, uh, Jules, Cameron, Connor, Kieran, Kim, Kyle, Mark, Mark, also, uh, Marcel, Marianne, Matt, Melly Muffin Pie, Micah, Mima, Min, Murray, Naomi, No Name, Pablo, Pat, Philip, Robert, Salute, Peasy, Scout, 
Sebastian, Shelley, Skin Tight Alloy, Trevor, and William. Uh, thank you all for backing the show. Um, as always, it means so much, especially like thank recently. You. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to get too into it, but like there's some stuff happening with uh, Terrace House at the moment. And I have my other podcast, but Terrace House. And we have a Discord that you can find by going to the worstgarbage.online and you can join it there. But that Discord has been so fucking positive over the past couple of days, um, especially totally. compared to just like the, the filth of the rest of the Internet. I, I'm more grateful than ever that, that the discord exists in the form that it's in and that um, all of this effort to build the community that is like just exceedingly positive um, and not, not in a f- like shitty fake way too. I just want to like emphasize that, that like yeah. there's a version of this where like everybody's nice, but like in, in kind of like a, like a high school way, yeah, you like know, a <laughs> show oblivion NPC way. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it's, it's just like unbridled, um, unbridled nicety you know what i mean uh yeah. in, in a way that be i real like yes. i think you know be yourself and and i think like uh it should be commonplace but i think it's it's rare to find uh internet discourse that is just like at the basis level respectful of the other yeah <laughs> yeah that's, like, that's kind of what we mean it's like you can go to the discord and and safely know that like no one is going to judge you or like belittle you for who you are right and, like uh it's a shame that that is rare and uh but that that is i think what you're commenting on it's not like hello i've picked this muffin for you right i know you like blueberries goodbye <laughs> yeah. although yeah. that would be nice that's kind of how i am but i know everyone else is chill um uh, yeah i don't know i i'm just i'm just so appreciative of everyone um in the community and stuff uh and all that said if uh there's somebody else that you feel like should be part of the community please share the show and the discord and stuff with them yeah i mean people have been saying so many nice things about about the podcast recently um so yeah just thanks to everybody it's really cool yeah Um, absolutely also if you have any ideas for like what you want us to do on this podcast like also i guess also let us know um, <laughs> please tell us we haven't we asked that in a long time we used to ask that a lot and we haven't in a while so like if you have, if you have any ideas please let us know uh, you can go to into the cast.online uh to find links to like how to reach out to us including our email address um so i don't know feel yeah. free to feel free to hit us up however you want i think we i think at this point it will be the beginning we've done this show for like officially two years in june yeah it'll be the beginning which it feels longer in a good way i don't know if you feel the same i do too Um, i feel like we've been doing it forever um yeah (laughs) Yeah. also in a good way that sounds negative it's not yeah it's been forever yeah this guy away from me (laughs) um but uh i think it's like we're at a point where i think we have found like a formula that works but i think recently we've been kind of testing the boundaries of that like you know, I think we've had more guests recently, which I think people have responded really positively to, which is awesome because we were excited to have those people on. Yeah. Uh, and I think with the bonus episodes in particular, we, we only started doing that like a year ago, yeah. uh, even less. So I think like with the bonuses, we've been a little bit more experimental. So yeah, whatever like direction you see us going in or, or would like to see us going or if you, or as simple as if you have a game to recommend to us, we're, we're always uh, open to hear ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I I don't know. I, I'm just thinking back on everything that we've done, like not to make this like a pat ourselves on the back moment, but like in terms of a thing like Games uh, of the Decade, where like we had a nine hour podcast episode that we released <laughs> and like we're, unsure, people were like, we were, thank you. That was great. Yeah, we were so unsure if people were going to like I mean, we did it kind of as a goof and then it became a thing that people really responded well to. Um, and not only that, but is our second most listened to episode right now which yeah. is fucking wild. And I've like, I've pulled up the audience retention on that episode and like people 
do listen to the whole thing, uh, yeah. which is like even more bizarre. I mean, even, even thinking back to our Kentucky Route Zero episode that ends with a half an hour of highway sounds, like <laughs> I, I think I think um, I, I'm just so grateful that there are people who are willing to listen to the wildest shit we can come up with. Um, and I'm excited <laughs> to continue pushing that forwards, uh, whether that be on this show or others. You know, I, I think we're always trying to experiment, and that's kind of the the ethos of what uh, the worst garbage as a as a podcast incubator slash network is supposed to be so i don't know it's cool yeah i think i think all the support has allowed us to grow in in various directions and and uh i i second your appreciation for that um yeah it's 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 beyond words uh it's we're very grateful for quite a bit we have some other platforms too it's all into the cast our twitch we're gonna start streaming relatively soon again we we've decided on the game that brendan and i'm I are going so to play excited steven so pumped uh should i say what it is or should i keep it a uh secret? yeah why not i mean because by the time this episode comes out i think we will already be like in the works so yeah uh we are going to be streaming monster hunter world together uh, a game that brendan and i both had on our uh 2018 uh best of list unbeknownst to the other because we had both played it before doing the yeah. show so and- it is kind of a nice return to a game that like i think both of us have been wanting to play for a long time uh, and kind of haven't touched in a while yeah. and they've added so much since we haven't picked up iceborne yet because i learned that that's like mostly like end game stuff and we're both like pretty still early on yeah um, well i i finished the game i'm in i'm fully in end game um but as as you and i talked about i think yesterday yeah it was yesterday i had a community of people to play that game with and i don't think you did as much uh you weren't able to play as much multiplayer um so i was able to just like completely power level straight to the end game uh pretty quickly i think within like 30 ish hours um just me and my cat alf and sebastian yeah um so i'm excited to play with you and kind of get you to that point so we can eventually check out iceborne um and then i'm excited to talk about that eventually on the podcast also because um yeah it's iceborne seems awesome uh expect maybe some more monster hunter contents yeah okay but it is so great to be back in that game it is so beautiful and so fun and like talk about a game that's trying to i mean maybe we should save it for later but like talk talk about a game (laughs) that's trying to be realistic in terms of its visual fidelity but also has such beautiful art direction um that that it feels like a place that can't exist you know it feels like uh pandora from avatar adjacent you know yeah and I think it uses realism as a tool. Uh, I, I mentioned this book a lot, but I think it, it, this is kind of what I was trying to to uh, describe. Um, there's a really great comic called Understanding Comics by yeah, Scott McCloud. Yeah. I mention it all the time. I would highly recommend it to anyone with even any interest in like any type of illustrated medium, uh, whether it's comics or animation. It's a comic that is about comics uh, as a medium. It's, it's a lit theory book, essentially. But he like really goes into like the deep end of like just like artistic expression mm, and yeah. puts this thing on the picture plane where like he he puts examples of all these different comics and animations on this pyramid scale of uh impressionism uh, the realm of ideas and the abstract so like on the bottom left you would have stuff like you know watercolors of landscapes or or the mona lisa where it's like these are artistic works that are seeking to replicate or heighten the beauty found around them. Yeah. Or at least the inspiration found around them. Uh, and the bottom right is the realm of, uh, of ideas where the, the bottom right is a smiley face. So like that is sort of like 
how do you reduce what you see to sort of the simplest modes of expression? And I, right next to the smiley face is like peanuts and Tintin and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then on the top, you have like full circle Picasso-esque just shapes and not too much is found up there. Um, but I would definitely put like Mike Mignola, who does the Hellboy comics, like kind of right center between because this stuff <laughs> yeah. almost looks like sculpted where it's very interested in shapes and like yeah. and 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 almost like a minimalist style so with monster hunter uh he also in that book describes like uh this is very common in a lot of like manga and anime where like the protagonists will have very simple expressions and faces and then the enemies or the monsters will be like incredibly detailed mm-hmm. to like a jarring degree yeah. uh so in monster hunter there's kind of that idea where like you're just sort of like a handsome person running around with a cute cat. And then you see like a dinosaur with like weird callous webbing in its armpit. Uh, and you're like, okay, that's the enemy. Yeah. Cause it looks so there's something of, and I think that's what people struggle with, with, with seeking to have a photorealistic style is like you hit that uncanny Valley where like immediately we're kind of repulsed where we're drawn to things that are simpler. Yeah. So anyway, I would highly, I love that book so much. I get excited just talking about it. Would highly recommend getting it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I would also recommend it. It's very good. And uh, that's just a taste of what you'll get from our upcoming Monster Hunter World content. (laughs) (laughs) The Palicos are a representation of the Hobbits. Um, I just finished my rewatch of the Lord of the Rings yesterday also. Hell yeah. Yeah. Great. We watched it in machete order. And by that, I mean, we just watched Return of the King and then one and two. Um, interesting for no reason in particular but anyway two towers is my favorite i was trying to quote <laughs> wait can i tell you movie? my take on two towers very quickly having just rewatched Please. all of them yeah go for it we watched return of the king we were like oh my god what what incredible writing i mean it's just like a it's a masterwork of film it is like an unbelievable movie um yeah and then you watch fellowship of the ring it's like again just unparalleled levels of of creativity and like artistry in that movie and again the writing is incredible Two Towers, also great. Don't get me wrong. Every line is a meme. Every line turned into a meme. Like every meme you can think of based on Lord of the Rings comes from the Two Towers. You got potatoes, the, boil a mash, yeah, you yeah, in a yeah. stew. You have, uh, what, what do your elf eyes see? They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. Uh, looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. Like every fucking meme from that trilogy is in the Two Towers and none of it is in Fellowship or Return of the King. <laughs> I, I was trying to quote the line, Sam says I forgot it, uh, so I butchered it, but I like Two Towers a lot because it has that like, really somber but hopeful ending um, yeah where yeah. Sam has that monologue where he's like the reason we can't give up is like we're we're part of the stories that really matter mm-hmm. like yeah you know there, these, there might the be point. something worth fighting for and if there if there's even a one percent shot that there's that there's a hope then we should be fighting for it also yeah. trees just fucking up orcs what more do you want oh my god uh, unbelievable yeah that that one shot of uh, the river flooding Isengard and then the one tree yeah. who's on fire goes and shoves his head in the river is the, one of the funniest bits of all of those movies I love strong herbivores Divorce. Uh, I also <laughs> love uh, my favorite scene in the movie, which is kind of a meme for myself. Is you're just solar vor if you eat, if you eat sunlight. I love strong solovars. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, I love strong photosynthesizers. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. The king eating the grape tomato as Mary sings and just like seeds like pop. Yeah, on his that's face. A, that's like, in Return of the King. Yeah, that's brutal. I remember that more than like anything else in the plot. <laughs> just him like sing for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like blood, and then he's anyway. eating the chicken. Ugh. Yeah. Disgusting. Anyway. Uh, but then he lights on fire and hey. jumps off the top of Gondor, so. It all balances it out. It all balances out. 
Um, well, that's our show. <laughs> this is truly the most grab bag episode maybe we've ever created. Yeah. Not to use hyperbole, but like, I'm dizzy from the topics discussed. Yeah. It was a fun one. I had a good time. I think we're getting more esoteric as time goes on. Yeah, totally. We're going to the realm of ideas. If you thought this episode sucked, hit us up. Uh, (laughs) I was a huge fan of ITA until they fucking sucked. Until they talked about uh, the king eating grape tomatoes. (laughs) Until they talked about the value of impressionism style (laughs) and the king eating grape tomatoes. What sellouts. All right. All right. See you in hell. Goodbye. Boston Market Sins. TWG, the worst garbage dot online.